I am a post-abortive woman from the time that I was a 21-year-old. So I have walked in these shoes and I've dealt with not only the decision-making process, but then the consequences that really lasted several decades. Uh, there's something called post-abortion syndrome and you know it manifests in different ways in a woman's life. But then um, when it came to my professional experience, I am, um, I have a business background, but then also uh, theology and social ethics. So when the Lord called me to starting point, it just kind of brought everything together for me. And I felt like I began to have an understanding about where I've been and how the Lord can use that in my life. And the voice you just heard was that of Diana Wetzel, Executive Director of Starting Point here in Knox County, Ohio. We are very fortunate and thankful to have her on the show, as well as Chelsea Burns. And Diana is going to share from a professional perspective on the issue that we're talking about today. And Chelsea is going to share on a personal perspective and her story on this issue we're going to share today. It's extremely important, especially now that we're only weeks away from the election for the president of the United States in 2020. And I know most of you are probably happy we're weeks away because you're tired of the ads, certainly the debate and the signs. So we're, we're nearing the end, but it's extremely critical for whom we vote and making sure that vote is based on this issue that we're going to discuss. Allow me to introduce myself. My name is LJ. I'm the preacher. And I'm Andy. I'm the policeman. And you're listening to The Preacher and The Policeman. Well, we're here today with somebody very special uh, in our community. She is with Starting Point Pregnancy Care Center here in Mount Vernon, Ohio. This is Diane Wetzel. She is the executive director of Starting Point. I had the pleasure of speaking with her today on the phone, and we decided that we would really need to have her as part of this broadcast because of what she is able to bring to the discussion. So thank you very much for being here, Diana. Well, I really appreciate being here. And just to give people who are listening a little bit of my personal background, I, I am a post-abortive woman from the time that I was a 21-year-old. So I have walked in these shoes, and I've dealt with not only the decision-making process, but then the consequences that really lasted several decades. Uh, there's something called post-abortion syndrome and you know it manifests in different ways in a woman's life. But then um, when it came to my professional experience, I, um, I have a business background, but then also uh, theology and social ethics. So when the Lord called me to starting point, it just kind of brought everything together for me. And I felt like I began to have, have an understanding about where I've been and how the Lord can use that in my life. And that it's not, you know, not just a personal experience, but I've had the opportunity now to work with lots of women and young men who have been in this situation. But um, just in big picture view, uh, history generally judges societies and, in fact, empires by how they treat their children, and in, in particular, the unborn. And so when we look at this as an issue, you know, the mantra used to be, as far as abortion goes, safe, legal, and rare. But we have now, we've kind of moved into this mantra of access by any means necessary. And I've just seen so much about the pro-choice, pro-woman movement that is really completely disingenuous. You know, they fight against a woman's right to even know 
that they have an option after they've begun a chemical abortion, for example, it's called abortion pill reversal. So just knowing that the motivation behind some of this movement is really disingenuous and it does not put a woman's health and their life at the beginning um, uh, as a prime, primal issue. Uh, for anyone who is wondering about the positions of the various parties represented, I would recommend that they go and look at the Republican Party platform. They have, uh, they put out what they call the Fifth Amendment, protecting human life, and it just lays out their entire platform. And then compare that to the 2020 Democratic Party platform on abortion. It's called Securing Reproductive Health Rights and Justice. So just reading those two platforms, you really get a sense for what the issues really are. But there's so many arguments about uh, rights, you know, someone's right. But as we talked about previously, how we treat our children is, is a very important aspect because once we see ground in that area, then it's much easier for um, our choices to be taken away down the line, how we treat disabled children, how we treat those who are ill, how we treat those who are disabled, you know, and it's, it's never just one issue. It does tend to, um, tend to snowball down that hill. Miss Diana, I've always heard it's pro-choice versus pro-life. And obviously I have never been a mother, never will be a mother. I tip every hat I own to all of the mothers who care so dearly for their babies. But when a mother goes into an abortion clinic to abort the baby, is it indeed pro-choice? And by that I mean, does the medical team show the mother that she's able to keep her baby or she's able to put her baby up for adoption or she is able to kill the baby through abortive means? Is it in fact pro-choice or does it lean one way or another? That has not been my experience. And actually I've seen a number of reports by the Ohio Department of Health at best, only 60% of the women that come through those clinics receive any counseling at all. And one of the things that starting point uh, really is a foundational aspect is that we practice trauma-informed care, we practice permission-based care, but we also practice informed consent. And that's, that's actually what this comes down to because you know, as, as women and also the fathers, as mothers and fathers, we are created to nurture life. And whenever we make decisions without all the information, we can end up actually violating our own heart because internally, you know, we have been created to nurture that life and to, and to make a decision other than that usually involves coercion. And that is one thing we try, um, you know, we do everything we can to just dial things down and we offer complete care, all the options that they have. And most women will say, most women that I've encountered through this ministry, I, I wish I had known before that there actually are resources. There are people who will care about me. They will help me place for adoption or they will help me parent. You know, there are tons of resources. And one of the criticisms that are leveled against pregnancy and family resource centers is that, oh, they only care about saving babies. They don't care about women. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. 
We care about families. We care about family units. If a young woman and a young man are not in a place where they are able to care for a child, there are lots of other options that we can help them and they can make a decision that they are gonna be able to live with for the rest of their lives and be proud of that decision. So I've noticed that a lot of times the left tries to say, we're just pro-birth because then we don't care after the babies are born. And I feel like that's a stigma that comes from nowhere because like you said, there's so many resources that happen afterwards, you know, parenting classes, helping to buy diapers, things like this. So the resources are there. As a resource center here in Knox County, we do not receive any government grants or, or taxpayer money. We are totally community funded, but we've been here for 31 years and we've grown from one volunteer in one room in a building to now owning our own building. We have six paid staff members, over 70 plus volunteers just waiting to share their, their time and their life. I can remember there was, we have men's ministry too. We had um, a young man who came in and he was meeting with one of our male advocates. And when Terry, the male advocate said, you know, I, I come here and volunteer my time because I really see value in you. And this young man just was dumbfounded. Like he did not understand why would you do this if somebody's not paying you? And so that's one of the wonderful things about this ministry is that we are all about families. We're all about relationships and the isolation that people experience in the culture and the um, just the way that information is shared in the culture, Hollywood, movies, social media. There's so much pressure coming from one direction and the assumptions that they're trying to normalize things. There's a new movie out by HBO Max and it is called Unpregnant. And it's kind of a play on words from the unplanned movie that came out uh, last year, I think it was, um, about Planned Parenthood. And so this movie is kind of like a Thelma and Louise type movie and it is a comedy. And it's these two young women, two gay young women, one of whom is pregnant, they travel like 900 miles to get an abortion in a state that does not have parental consent for a minor, they're minors. And so that is what the culture has become. And so Gen Z and even many millennials, they still don't know what, what it means to honor life, what it means to honor family. We even, we talk about the success sequence. That was, uh, that research came out of the Brookings Institute in New York and that is, that is one way to get families out of poverty. And the success sequence is finish your education, get full-time employment, then you get married, then you have children. If you follow that pattern, you're going to stay, get out of, and stay out of poverty. And so that's why we, I love it because that's God's plan for family. And if we follow that, it is very, um, you're going to, just determine the rest of your life. And there are tons of resources available to help you do that. And in Knox County, we have, we have an incredible network of ministries, of agencies. And as a chaplain, you are well aware of that. We're very blessed in this county. If I can ask Diana, today you talked about the, the option for the reversal. When we talked on the phone earlier this morning, that was the first I'd ever heard of it. I would consider myself somebody who tries to stay up to speed on the topic of 
uh, of the pro-life issue and uh, stays in defense of the pre-born. This was news to me. So as you talk about the opposition and the pro-choice movement being disingenuous, I believe that is extremely accurate. And so my question for you is, for Christians, what can we tell our Christian brothers and sisters when it comes to this topic? What is the best defense? And I'll just preface it with this. LJ and I both have had conversations uh, with someone in particular who is a self-professing Christian, uh, and they defend that position that they are pro-choice. They give the typical argument of, well, what about the situations with rape and so forth? LJ and I have done about as much as we probably can do when it comes to trying to convince this person, scripturally at least, the value that God puts on life. What are some of the answers that you would give to Christians who may be on the fence or maybe blatantly misinformed because of this disingenuous push to purposely mislead people? Well, it is important to, when you talk to someone about that, to say, when you say pro-choice, what do you mean by that? Do you mean that you don't want someone else coercing you into a decision that you haven't made? Well, that's a value that we all share. But what is not happening is that women are not being educated completely. They are not engaging in fully informed consent. You know, aside from the fact that, you know, obviously as Christians, we believe that all life is created in the image of God. Every child bears the image of God. Aside from that, you know, as a woman who has been in difficult situations, you know, they talk about rape as being, you don't want to impose having a child on a woman who's been raped. Well, a rape is a a very serious, significant psychological and physical trauma. To then say, to encourage them to abort that child, that is an additional trauma, an additional violent action on that woman's body and on her psychological well-being. And that, that just compounds the wounds and the trauma that's going to take her years to work through. And so I've talked to a lot of women who have been in that situation, you know, and when new life comes out of that, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things that it's very hard to put into words. But I would say for Christians, I understand that, you know, we want to value the right and the responsibility of every individual to make their own decision. And honestly, as as an executive director of a pro-life ministry, I'm with you on that. I absolutely believe that it's our right and it's our responsibility. But at the same time, we have to be honest with ourselves about what are we talking about? And if we make these types of decisions, what does that open the door to later on? How have we compromised our, our faithfulness to the Lord, our faithfulness to, um, you know, to following Jesus. So, so that's one thing. But when we talk about the disingenuous nature, especially like with abortion pill reversal, this is um, the whole movement. I would ask a Christian to really examine the movement itself. They fight against the right of a nurse to be trained in the abortion pill reversal protocol, which utilizes progesterone, which has been used for decades by the FDA to treat miscarriage symptoms, to try to stop a miscarriage. 
65 to 70% of women who do decide to say, you know, I, I made a mistake. I don't want to go through with the chemical abortion. I want to take this. They have healthy children after that. So it is possible and they should have the right to choose that. So if you are going to trust a candidate, you need to recognize what are the hidden agendas behind their allegiances. Honestly, from a business perspective, follow the money. Where does the money come from? Where does it go? Who Know who you are supporting and what ultimately they will support and how that will impact the rest of us down the line. Uh, like I said, to go and read the platforms of both parties, I think is the very first step in becoming fully informed about what's at stake here. Thank you so much, Ms. Diana. Thank you especially for the invaluable work you do to champion the life of the unborn. And thank you also for being on this show today and sharing with our listeners your professional and your personal story to help champion that cause. We sincerely appreciate you being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I hope that it's helpful because I know Christians really do wrestle with what is the right thing to do for other, on behalf of other people. Absolutely. Diana, what can listeners, our fellow Christians, what can we do in addition to praying for you? What can we do? Well, if you'd like more information, one thing I would recommend is to call us or get on our website at knockstartingpoint.com. You can connect us and ask to come have a tour. Find out firsthand what it's really like here and what we really do. Because honestly, every single person who's come in from the outside, they walk in and they start to hear us talk about what we do and show them where what we have here. And they just go, I had no idea. And that's the truth. And I mean, in a, in a picture is worth a thousand words and it really does. By walking in here, when we did our remodel and we had to tear apart the building, we pulled up the carpet and everything. We had people, our supporters from uh, the community came in, wrote scriptures all over the floors and put the carpet back over it. So anytime somebody walks in the door at our center, they feel the peace of God, but they have no idea what that is. And so by building trusting relationships, then we earn the right to tell them, here's why we do what we do. And here's how we would like to introduce you to Jesus. That is beautiful. Mm -hmm. Standing on his word. Now we have listeners who are listening from Arkansas, Pennsylvania, even a few from the state up north. And many of them cannot get to Knox County to come to Starting Point. So where would you point them to get resources and support and when they're making a decision like this concerning a yet unborn baby. We are an affiliate of CareNet National and Heartbeat International. Whatever state you're in, you can call one of those organizations and you can get a referral to an agency close to you. So you can get involved locally. And there are, like sometimes people call us and they're, they're, they know they're going to move to another state or another county, and we'll be able to call that up and help them get connected with another center elsewhere. You have been a tremendous blessing to us, Miss Diana. Thank you for your personal and your professional story for sharing that. And if you can stick around, we'd love to have you. Perhaps a question or two toward the end of the show. But if you need to go, we completely understand. We are blessed to have with us also Chelsea Burns, who happens to head up our half units, who are the spouses of first responders. And she is not only the president of the half units, she's also a client. She is the 
wife of Andy, who happens to be the policeman on the show. Chelsea, thank you so much for coming on and for sharing your personal story concerning this issue with all of us. Thank you so much for having me and for giving me the opportunity to share my story and perspective on such a crucial topic so close to an election. And I, I want to talk about some of the reasons that women give when they go to have an abortion. And it's, it's already sad enough that the majority of abortions are done out of convenience And what's even more terrible is that they justify them a lot of times in saying that they won't be able to provide a good life for the baby. And that very, very well may be true. Uh, And that's exactly the situation I was in. Uh, My mother was 17 when she got pregnant and she was still in high school. Her father was deceased. Um, Her mother was in some abusive relationships, so she didn't have a real stable foundation to begin with, a a stable home. So by today's standards, you know, she would be the perfect candidate to have an abortion because she just didn't have any prospects on being able to take care of the baby. Well, um, I don't know the details on why she didn't go through with it, but she didn't. And, you know, I believe obviously that it was by God's grace that she didn't go through with it. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. Uh, And I would love to say that she, you know, got her act together and did the best she could to provide the best life she could. But that's not the case either. And I know that's not the case for a lot of children in our country. But, and I want to clarify, when I say not the best life, I don't mean that I didn't get new school clothes every year, or I didn't get the latest release on some new shoes. Um, I didn't have my very basic needs met most of my childhood. Um, I would go hungry. I didn't have adequate shelter. Um, We would go without heat and water for extended periods of time. So this isn't, this isn't just about material things. This is about basic needs. And that was my childhood. But I overcame that. And I now have an amazing life. I have a beautiful family. And I love my life. I love that I have Jesus in my life. That is, I have to give the credit to him. You know, having Christ in my life is so important. And I didn't know it then as a, when I was growing up. But, you know, looking back, I can see where his hand was in my life all the time. So what I'm trying to say is that should my rights have been stripped away in the womb from the very beginning, I should, and all the babies should, be given the opportunity to overcome their environment that their parents have provided for them. I know, I know a lot of the story, obviously, that she shared with me. And of course, I know the family. And this isn't just some speculation, by the way. There were other pregnancies that were terminated. So by the grace of God, like Chelsea said, that didn't happen in her case. And so as she has shared with me her upbringing, some of the things that she went through and experienced, 
of course, I would only assume that at the time she couldn't see the hand of God in her life, but can appreciate it now. They talk about pro-choice and having choices, but you're stripping that child's choice away the moment you murder them. Because if I had been murdered, I would never have endured my terrible childhood. I wonder how you survived (laughs) some of the stuff I hear. But I also would not be a mom. I also wouldn't have been able to be a wife. I wouldn't have been able to be a friend or a sister. You know, so I would have had all those things stripped from me. All those choices taken from me. All because my mom couldn't provide a good life for me. And should that be a justifiable reason to kill a baby? If you if you kill a baby in the womb because you know you're not going to be able to give them the life that you want to give them, how is it different than when they're seven or ten? If, if you have a fully grown child and you're not providing for them and you can't give them the life that you want to give them or that they deserve, why can't you murder them? Why can't you kill them? You can't provide for them. How is it any different when the child is in the womb? Location doesn't determine personhood. Just because that child is outside of the womb now doesn't make it more human. It's still a person either way. So the idea that we can kill babies because we're trying to save them from a terrible childhood, you're ripping away their opportunity to become amazing people, to to grow and to overcome. And that's what a lot of people don't think that they can do you know, once you're in this environment, this, um, this level of poverty that you're just stuck there. And that's not the case. You can get out of it. It might not be easy, but it can be done. And I'm an example of that. Could I touch on that real quick? I know we're going to lose Diana in just a minute. She's been gracious enough to hang in there, but I know she had a small window. We discussed earlier, and Chelsea brought up society and the issues with society, and in regards to some of the people that LJ and I talk with about this issue, I have said this issue is the dominant issue, that I have other issues that are near and dear to me, uh, and I won't get into all those, but the deal breaker for a candidate for me is the issue of life. It is at the hub of everything, and when we look at all of the things that pertain to that. Now, don't get me wrong. I love the second amendment. It's near and dear to me, but when it comes to the issue of life, that is the game changer for a candidate's record in my book. So as we look at society and they're forcing these ideas that you can't afford this baby, you can't take care of this baby. It's got a miserable life. It's almost a mercy killing. If you just go ahead and terminate the baby, but there's other implications when it comes to our society. And Diana, if you could just, in your last couple of minutes you have with us, can you kind of expand on that? What are we looking at as a society if today we say it's okay for convenience to end the life of this child? What are some of the ramifications of that? Well, I think we're beginning to feel feel that squeeze, especially from uh, healthcare 
perspective. Um, and as I mentioned to uh, Angie earlier today, there is a case pending right now, an investigation with a case at Riverside Hospital in Columbus. Uh, there were twins born. They were, the mom went in with bleeding and it was early and they were told that if the, if the twins were born at 22 weeks and five days or later, or, or earlier than that, that there would be no care offered. And generally 21 to 22 weeks is considered viability in the state of Ohio. And so those children were actually born 22 days or 22 weeks and five days. So legally Riverside should have provided care. They chose not to. One of those babies last uh, survived 45 minutes, the other survived two hours and there was no medical intervention, even though the parents wanted it. So. Once we get into situations of single-payer healthcare uh, or government-run or subsidized healthcare, the decisions are no longer between a woman and her doctor or a couple and their doctor, as we're always told that that's what it's going to be. So this is just one example of how whoever it is that's controlling the money, controlling the strings to the healthcare system, they're making those decisions for us. So carry that on down the line, okay? As we get older, who is it that is able to have healthcare? Who, as an elderly citizen, who is it that is able, who makes those decisions for us in the long run? And so, you know, once we um, once we are able to say this person or that person is not worthy of care or not even worthy of life, you know, we're making quality of life determinations. We're not arguing about what is life. And so we've already come pretty far down the, down the pipe with that in those discussions. And so, but it's, it seems to be most clear when we're talking about preborn life and newborn life. And we've seen those, those arguments. The state of Virginia has an incredibly progressive stance on a child can be born, can be born alive, and the parents still then get to make a decision whether this, this is a life or not, or whether it's worth living. And so it's all being pinned on who gets to make that decision. I saw a poster in Vancouver, Canada, obviously our neighbor to the north, but mm -hmm. it's certainly coming close to us. Well, the whole poster campaign was one planet, one child, and the poster reads, the best gift you can give to your child is not to have another. That is anti-human. Yeah, that is an, that's an anti-human message. Yes, it is anti-human. I think, I think that's what we're really looking at here. The person that says, I'm going to back this person because they're pro-choice, and I believe the woman has to have the choice, I don't think they are grasping that this is an ideology. This mm -hmm. encompasses the anti-human, as Diane put it. Uh, this encompasses the myth of population control and the need for it because of this, this false idea of overcrowding our planet. Our planet. It drives climate change. Right. There is so much involved in this. And again, back to the issue for the quality of life, the euthanasia of the elderly or the infirm. And these governments, she mentioned communist China. We saw it, of course, with the rise of the Nazis in Germany and this population control, these eugenics programs. It's important that people understand that there is more at stake here than whether you dislike the current candidate and like the other guy or vice versa. For me, it is the top issue. Does my candidate, for whom I'm going to vote in November, support the life of the unborn? If so, I'll vote for him or her. If not, I won't vote for him or her. Thankfully, 
in this case, we do have a candidate who does champion the pro-life movement. And so I will vote for him. It's very simple for me. And you can find, as Diana said, you can go to those party platforms on the website. You can go to Republican, you can go to Democrat, read both of them, be well informed. Also, you can go to biblicalvoter.com and you can find state voter guides as well as party platforms and see where candidates stand on all issues, but especially this issue, because this issue is life and death. Right. When I was pregnant with one of my children, there was a potential for a diagnosis of a Down syndrome baby. My physician assumed that if that diagnosis were made, that I would automatically terminate. I mean, that was just the mentality. And as we know, you know, how many families do you know with Down's children? They're the hugest blessing that that family has ever received, regardless of the amount of care that might be needed or attention and, and love that was, that was needed in that case. So the idea of degrading human life, it all ties into what Diana described as this disingenuous drive that the pro-choice movement has. Mm -hmm. And that's a perfect example is the devaluing of other people. And then the argument comes down to, and this always really stumps me because it seems like science is used as a convenience by the opposition many times. It's good science if it means this, it's bad science or you're anti-science if you use it to support that. Mm -hmm we can show it scientifically, biologically, that that is a human being. There is no argument there. So then in the courts, the argument becomes, it may be a human being, but is it a person? So this diminishing of personhood, again, is part of this larger ideology. And if that doesn't frighten Christians especially, but everyone, wake up. Yes, that's true. The irony, and this doesn't necessarily have to be in what you broadcast, but one of the ironic things that just totally blows me away is that in this day and age of Black Lives Matter and Antifa and all of this racial concern for racial justice, Planned Parenthood has more centers, abortion clinics in the neighborhoods that are that are populated in the Black communities and the Hispanic communities. And, and it's a business model for them. And I just, it's so shocking to me that they can actually stand there and promote Planned Parenthood while at the same time be promoting racial justice and equality. And the, the, the abortion rate in the black community is, is like three times that of the white community. Right, and it's not a Republican Democrat issue. It really is. We're not endorsing one or the other. We're, we're not going to get on here. And of course, uh, preacher, you can't get up in your front of your congregation and tell people to vote for right. one party. You can't endorse one party. There's a lot of a lot of things that would follow you that would not be very good because of that. Sure. Sure. The issue really comes down to choosing life. And over and over in scripture, we're told to choose life. Yes. No time in history have we ever, even when we look at what you brought up in Vancouver that's happening right now, uh, the Bill Gates funded drive to minimize populations. We've never seen in history outside of things like the communist regimes and the murderous dictators of the 20th century, especially, we've never seen this idea that having children is a bad thing. 
that the family unit is a terrible model. Of course, it's God's model. And, and even to the point that in our culture, how many times have you been, say, in an office environment or somewhere, and somebody announces this good news that we're expecting, and you get some snarky comment, right? right? Don't you know what causes that? Oh, good grief. I can't believe you're going to have another one. At any other point in history, our cultures typically, even non-Christian cultures, embrace the idea of family. Uh, I believe it was the psalmist who said it was like having arrows in your quiver the mighty man who would have that many children that mm-hmm. it's always been a blessed thing from God. And now today it's just the opposite that our culture says, what are you thinking having kids? Right. I don't want to, we usually do a lighter subject. The, this right. is obviously a heavier, more serious subject. This is a little heavy. <laughs> this is, we usually throw in a heaping helping of humor, but not today. If we're going to get into the weeds, we might just well make it, a, let's make it a safari. <laughs> The history of Planned Parenthood, Uh, it seems that this is something that uh, supporters of Planned Parenthood especially would like to probably gloss over. Is there a connection? I'm asking you as somebody who is at the front of this of this issue. Is is there a connection with discrimination, with hatred, with an ideology? Because we seem to have this great disparity when you have minority infants who were killed, it vastly outweighs the number of non-minority abortions. Is there is there a connection? Are, are Christians, are other people reading too much into this? There's a history of Planned Parenthood prior to it being called Planned Parenthood. Margaret Sanger does not have a good pedigree. And Bill Gates's father was involved with this as well at the very beginning. And it was a eugenicist type movement, a eugenics movement. So um, there's no way to get around that history, but they do. They want to gloss over that and, um, and rename it. The sloganeering always sounds really great, but when you peel back the layers, it all comes down to there is a disregard for life. There is a disregard for who it is that gets to make that decision. And, you know, the, for all the talk about pro-choice, Ultimately, if we see this this line, we will not be making our own choices in the future. They will be made for us. And as you you uh, revealed in Canada, you know the government is telling them how many children they can have. So it is not pro-choice. Andy mentioned the scriptural principle of choosing life. I don't find anywhere in the Bible where God says choose lower taxes or choose better gun rights or choose a secure foreign policy. But he does say over and over, because he's the giver of life, if you have to choose between life and death, choose life. Thank you both to Chelsea and to Diana for helping us today when it's time to choose in November to make sure when you choose, you choose life. Obviously, a subject like this is so remarkably personal and delicate. And there are some listeners who you may be a post-abortive woman and have guilt and regret and pain in your past because of what's happened. The same God who brought the gospel to Diana, who brought healing to her and forgiveness for her, is the same God and the same gospel who will bring healing and forgiveness for you. Isaiah made it very clear when he wrote that God was going to come, and when he came, he would come to bear our griefs and carry our sorrows. We all know he came to bear and forgive our sins, but you may not know this. He also came 
to bear our griefs and carry our sorrows. So you don't have to carry that anymore. The pain in your past, the guilt in your past. You can find a place today to get alone with God and give that to Him and say, God, I'm giving this to you and I don't want to carry it anymore. Would you please take my pain? Please take my guilt. And God, bring healing and forgiveness. And God will do that for you. The same God who brought the gospel to set Diana free is the same God who will bring the gospel to set you free. Would you pray with me right now? Lord Jesus, I thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you, God, for your healing, your forgiveness. Thank you for second chances. I pray, Lord, you would please minister to every listener, everyone, especially those with regret, with guilt, with pain. I pray, God, you would bring them healing and forgiveness. Work a miracle in them like you have done for so many. I pray today, God, give them the strength and the courage to give all of that to you. You came to carry all of that for us. And I pray today you would bless them, set them free, heal and forgive. And do this, I pray all in your name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in to this episode of The Preacher and the Policeman. Next month, we'll do our best to do a little better, to mix in the gospel with current events and add a heaping helping of humor. You've been listening to The Preacher. I'm LJ The Preacher. And I'm Andy The Policeman. So be blessed. And be safe. Mm-hmm.